Morning, everybody. I like some of the lyrics we got going today, right? We're singing like, whoa, whoa, and na, 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 na. (laughs) Deep. It's good. Hey, it worked for Journey. Yeah, that's good. I'm good. And, And you guys, great Garth going on there, Chris, so thank you. All right, everyone doing well today? I'm doing well. Thanks for asking. Yeah, I'm not crazy about the heat, but everything else, fantastic. It's all good. All right, so glad you're here today. Let's see. So people loving people, those are the real lyrics that we're thinking about. And uh, so I missed you last week. I was, I was involved with people loving people. I got to go to Southern California and officiate my nephew's wedding. Yeah, pretty good. So I, it's a great honor. Some of you haven't had this privilege, but I have it sometimes to get asked to do someone's wedding, to officiate a wedding. And it's just a fun thing. And oh yeah, we were doing selfies last time I was with you. And I thought, you know, maybe you'd like to see another selfie. And some of you are like, I never want to see another selfie again in my life. Okay, I get that. You can take it down. That's all right. So today, we're going to do something we did a couple weeks ago, not the selfie part, something else. We're going to do a little question and answer time at the end of our talk together. And so I want to put a number up on the screen, and I want you to pull your phone out, and I want you to uh, open up your text app, and then I want you to punch that number, 916-467-9855. I want you to punch that into your text app so that if a question pops into your head in the next 30 minutes or so while we're talking about meaning in life, then you can write that question down, text it to that number, and we're going to put it up on the screen a little bit later, and we're going to try and answer it. I'm not saying we will answer it. We're going to try and answer it and see how that goes. So uh, try and narrow your questions down to the topic of what's that mean? Or, you know, what is, how do I find meaning in life, especially in the area we're talking about today? Good? Got it down? Because we're going to take it away. No complaining after I take it away. Like, I didn't get a chance. No, you got a chance. Good? Three of you. Okay. Uh, I'm going to pray for all of us, then we're going to talk together. Okay? Father in heaven, thank you for your goodness and your beauty and your kindness to us. You are full of mercy. You're full of truth. You're full of grace toward us, and we're grateful to you for, to you for that, Lord, today. I don't know where everyone came from today in their journey. don't know what the last week or two or so has been like for everybody. I am confident that some of us today are riding high, and it's beautiful, and it's a great day, and it's a great season for us, and so that's wonderful. Uh, thank you for those. I'm, I'm certain that there are some among us that are not doing so well today, and the, and the challenges of life are, are great and strong in their lives, and so I pray for them that you, you would make your presence known to them, you would make your power known in their lives today, and you would do something amazing in them. And Lord, for all of us, I think we came together because we want you. I don't think there's anybody in the room today, probably, that's, that's here for some other reason but that we want you. And we express that in different ways, and we come at it in different ways, but we want you, Lord, and we want to hear from you, we want to know you. We want to be able to embrace who you are and what you're doing in our lives. So lead us in that path. Open your heart to us. We open ours to you, and we invite you to shape the course of our day and the course of our days and the course of our lives today. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen. All right, so today we're going to continue our series called What's That Mean? And it's all about this question that everybody asks in some form or another. We're all, as human beings, prone to ask the question, which I think is an evidence for the fact that God exists in the universe. We're prone to ask this question, what's the meaning of life? Or how do I find the meaning of life? Or how do I find meaning in my life? What's that mean? And so that's what we're talking about today. I want to do a little bit of review, and then let's go on and talk about 
another one of the issues that, that deals with meaning in our world and builds meaning into our world. So we talked a couple of weeks ago about the idea that uh, one of the things that sucks the meaning out of life is selfishness. When I pursue everything for myself, it just it shrinks my world down. I'm far too small to create meaning in this, in, in this universe. How big is the universe? Huge. I'll take huge. Yeah, I'll, I don't think it's infinite. I think it stops somewhere because God is infinite, and so the universe has to be less than him. But I, I'll just go with huge. Everyone okay with that definition of the universe? It's huge. Now, in light of the hugeness of the universe, how big are you? Tiny, I'll go with that. So it's huge and tiny. And you don't have enough resource within you to be able to create meaning for yourself if your life is only focused on yourself. We're just too small for that. So we have to find meaning someplace else. We found a couple of weeks ago that meaning comes when we engage with others, when we give ourselves to others. That's one of our value statements at Lakeside. We give ourselves to others. And you can look around at the things that happen among us at Lakeside a lot, and I'm like, I see it all the time, somebody giving themselves to others, and it's a beautiful thing, and that creates a life of meaning. That fills us up with meaning in our lives. Now, sometimes, and Pastor John did a great job talking about this last weekend, sometimes uh, we want to have connections with others, but we end up shaming instead, and shame breaks our connection with others, and it drains our life of meaning again. It's another kind of meaning sucker out of our lives, and so we're talking about some of these things that that will suck meaning out of our lives, and I want to give you another one of those today, and I I don't want to focus on it forever. I just want to talk about it, kind of run past it, and then get to the remedy for it. That's where I want to head today. So, Next meaning sucker we want to talk about, next thing that draws the meaning out of life, pulls it away, throws it away from us, is a little thing called greed. So let's just do, let's just start off with some, let's make it uncomfortable right off the bat, okay? How many of you are greedy? Yeah, not bad self-awareness in a crowd at 9 o'clock in the morning. It's not not bad. Greed's kind of hard to see in yourself. It's like you can see greed in others. Let's do that. How many of you have a neighbor who's greedy? Oh, yeah we, yeah, we know that. It's like, that's a lot easier to see. Here's the definition of greed. Greed is the excessive, rapacious desire for more for me. The excessive, rapacious desire for more for me. Greed is all about me. And because it's all about me, it sucks the meaning out of my life. And yet it's so hard for me to get around it. It's so hard for me not to be greedy, it seems, in my world. Which is why Paul wrote in his letter, his first letter to Timothy, his young friend, uh, in 1 Timothy 6, verse 10, he wrote this, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Love of money, that's another way to define greed. The love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It sucks the meaning out of my life. So it's painful to us. It's hard for us. It's hard for us to find it sometimes when we look in the mirror and we, kind of, we try and judge ourselves. We don't always see it all that well. And so we have to evaluate kind of where we are with this. So let's do another one. Let's see. Um, how many of you have money in your, like, wallet or purse today? I'm not going to ask for it. <laughs> well, actually, I am going to ask for it later on. Yeah, it's like, hey, you know, no, 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 no. I'm not, I'm not trying to steal your money. But how many, give me, so put that up again. All right, now... How many of you who have money in your wallet or purse, do they have enough in there? Yeah, that's what I thought. Not quite so much. Not, not so much. How many, how many of you have money in the bank? Yeah, I want that too. And if so, just so you know. No, okay, so you got money in the bank. How many of you have enough? 
wow, I've never seen hands drop so fast. Like, wow, I don't. And I get that. There's all these proverbs that talk about saving up for the next day and saving for the future and that stuff. And that's wise. And, you know, I'm about four years away from retirement. So I'm thinking about it and trying to plan, like, how's that going to look? And I think I'll retire when I'm 96. And, you know, that'll be, then I'll live in luxury or whatever. Uh, if I have all that many years to save up, I don't know. But like, it's okay, it's important to have money in the bank. It's important to have enough money in the bank. I get that. But listen to what Solomon wrote when he wrote this book, this, this story about meaning in life, this book called Ecclesiastes. Listen to what he says in Ecclesiastes 5 verse 10. Whoever loves money never has enough. Oh, dagger to my soul. Just described to me. Whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. This too is meaningless. Like, oh man, Solomon, you're speaking our language. This is one of the things that attracts me to the Bible. It speaks our language. It talks about things that we're in. Because whoever has money, whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. This too is meaningless. Now he goes on. He says, as goods increase, so do those who consume them. And what benefit are they to the owners except to feast their eyes on them? The sleep of a laborer is sweet, whether they eat little or much. But as for the rich, their abundance permits them no sleep. I've seen a grievous evil under the sun, wealth hoarded to the harm of its owners, or wealth lost through some misfortune. So that when they have children, there is nothing left for them to inherit. Greed sucks the meaning out of life. This too is meaningless. And greed travels with a companion. Recognize the the companion, the traveling companion of greed? It's fear. Fear drives greed. Fear that I'm not going to have enough. Fear that I'm not going to measure up to the next guy. I grew up in a family where we didn't have a lot of resources. I didn't really know that it was poor until later on when my wife said, you guys were poor. I'm like, oh, I didn't know. But we didn't have a lot of resources growing up, and I've I've identified this later on in my life as an adult. I've identified that some of my eating patterns happen because I'm afraid I'm not going to have enough. It's been years since I didn't have enough. I can't remember not having, I don't, I don't remember ever not having enough, and yet I created eating patterns that said, I, I better get more on my plate now, because I might not have more later. There's fear that goes with greed, I might not have enough. Or there's the fear that I don't measure up to the guy next door, because the guy next door has a bunch of stuff. And, then, you know, and I, don't, I don't know how much of it's on credit, I, I, you know, no, I don't have any way to know that. But he sure has a lot of stuff, and nice stuff. And I fear that I might not catch up with him or be up with him or I, you know, I might not measure up to him. And then where's my self-esteem going to come from if I don't have enough stuff? Fear travels with greed. We already live in a fearful culture. We don't need to add more fear to it, but it's there. It's here. It's in us. And fear and greed that travel together, they suck the meaning out of life. If you find that your life is focused on more, 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 a rapacious desire for more, it will suck the meaning right out of your life. Now, I don't want to focus on that today. 
Who needs that? You don't need to talk on greed. You know what you need? You know what I need? I need generosity. That's the remedy for greed. Generosity breaks the grip of greed in my life. It takes its, its stranglehold grip off my throat. Generosity does that to greed. Generosity does that to fear. It counteracts it. It changes it within my life. So I want to spend some time today talking about generosity and how it builds meaning into our life. Generosity, one definition of it, is readiness to give. Like, be ready. Are you ready to give? When someone has a need, are you ready to give? We've learned to budget this into our, to plan this into our budget so that we're ready to give when someone has a need. Be ready to give. That's generosity. Or another definition is freedom from smallness, which I'm not really a fan uh, yeah, you know, it's like, but anyway, but I don't want to be small-minded. That's really what he's talking about, freedom from smallness of mind, freedom from smallness of character. I do not want to be small in my character. And that person that's greedy is small in character. The one who's fearful is small in mind. Generosity means, uh, not, not, it means freedom from that smallness of thinking. Or another, the opposite definition, another way to say that is generosity is largeness. Which I'm like, oh, good. Like that. Largeness. One definition of it. Um, oh, no, I don't have it written down. I lost what it, Amplitude. You know amplitude? It's what they use, when, like snowboarders, when they're in the half pipe and they get way up above the horizon, that's amplitude. The high schoolers were off at, at camp out this week and they had the blob out there in the lake, where you, like a big platform, and there's a guy sitting on the end of this big plastic balloon, like huge thing, and guys jump off the platform and launch the dude up in the sky, and when he gets over the horizon, that's amplitude. <laughs> Ask Carl Rettinger about it. <laughs> Ask Jameson the drummer about it. Yeah, that's amplitude. It's like, it's a lot. And like, that's what generosity is. It's a lot. It's living large. It's living big for others. And that builds meaning into our lives. Generosity is a largeness of spirit that creates fullness in ourselves as well as in others. In fact, I believe every time you practice generosity, you perform a miracle. Generosity generates a miracle every time it's practiced, and the miracle is this. It fills up others and us at the same time. See, fear tells you if you're generous to somebody else, that's going to deplete what you have. If you give to them, it'll take away from you. It's a zero-sum game, but generosity says, no, 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 it creates a miracle. Every time you practice generosity to somebody else, it fills them up, but it fills you up as well. That's the hard part to get. That's a miracle. That's why it creates meaning in our lives, because it fills others up at the same time it fills us up. Now, I want to know how to build that. I want to know how to build that into my life, because that's been a struggle for me all of my life, living generously. So how do I build that into my life? How do you get to build that into your life, this kind of generosity? I want to look today with you at a portion of Scripture we don't turn to very often, because it's in the Old Testament, and it's part of the law. And as New Testament believers in Christ, we go, well, we're not under the law, we're under grace. So we focus so much on the New Testament, which is as it should be. But there's a lot of beautiful things in God's law where he goes, this is my character. This is my heart for you. 
And so I want you to see some things from Deuteronomy today. So if you have your Bible, pull it out and turn to the book of Deuteronomy. It's the fifth book in the Bible. Uh, if you don't have your paper Bible with you, that's fine. If you pull out your smartphone, you can look up the YouVersion Bible app and go to the section in there called More and then click on Events and you'll find Lakeside Church in there. We've got notes in there. We've got the Bible passages listed in there. So Deuteronomy is all pulled out and listed for you there. And you can follow along with that or you can just listen. That's fine. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 14, verse 22. Listen to the law of God. Now, he's writing this to the people of Israel, not directly to us, but to the nation of Israel. But listen to this. He says, be sure to set aside a tenth of all that your fields produce each year. Eat the tithe of your grain, new wine and olive oil, and the firstborn of your herds and flocks in the presence of the Lord your God at the place you will choose as a dwelling for his name. So that you may learn to revere the Lord your God always. But if that place is too distant and you, have, and you have been blessed by the Lord your God and can't carry your tithe because the place where the Lord will choose to put his name is so far away, then exchange your tithe for silver and take the silver with you and go to the place the Lord your God will choose. Use the silver to buy whatever you like cattle sheep wine or other fermented drink or anything you wish then you and your household shall eat there in the presence of the lord your god and rejoice and don't neglect the levites living in your towns for they have no allotment or inheritance of their own at the end of every three years bring all the tithes of that year's produce and store it in your towns so that the levites who have no allotment or inheritance of their own and the foreigners and the fatherless and the widows who live in your towns may come and eat and be satisfied and so that the lord your god may bless you in all the work of your hands how do you build generosity into your life first thing bring the tithe now i know when a pastor says that it sounds self-serving like, bring the tithe, bring a tenth of what you make, bring it to church. I, I know it sounds self-serving. I'm not reading you a book about church. I'm reading you about God's heart. He's telling you, this is what I want for your heart, because this is going to shape your heart. Generosity begins in our relationship with God. If it doesn't really begin with your relationship with God, it's going to be hard to get it in your relationship with others. And so he says, I want you to bring the tithe. Now, yes, it applies to Israel, but it's part of their sacrificial system. You go, I, I, I can't afford to give a tithe. That's a lot. I'm going, well, of course it's a lot. If it's not a lot, it's not a sacrifice. It's part of their sacrificial system. And they practice sacrificing to make generosity a reality in their life. Now, when they did this, it shaped their relationship with God. That's what he says. Look at verse 20. In 23, the end of verse 23, he says, So that you may learn to revere the Lord your God always. Why do we practice a tithe? Why do we go, hey, I, I give this portion of my income to the Lord, to the church, to his work, whatever that looks like. Why do we practice that? Because when you practice that, it shapes your reverence for God. You ever struggle with your devotional life? You ever struggle in your relationship with God? It's like, I'm not, I'm not as holy as I want to be, or I'm not as close to God as I want to be. I'm not, I don't seem to be connected to God like I want to be. You ever struggle with that? One of the issues is we're not generous toward God. Jesus said, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. You want your heart to be drawn into God? Then follow that practice. That's just God's heart for you. One of my... One of my things that I'm grateful for in my life is someone taught me this early and someone also taught Donna separate from me on this early and we just built this into our lives 
Some people have been surprised when I've said in the past uh, that we tithe to Lakeside. We give a tenth of our income to Lakeside. They go, isn't that counterintuitive? Doesn't Lakeside pay your salary? I'm like, yeah, but it's not counterintuitive. It's intuitive. It's like I, I want my heart to be drawn toward God. I want my heart to be all his, all in. And here's what he asks for from my heart. So I go, I'm going to live that out. And every time I practice that kind of generosity, it generates a miracle in me. Because it fills me at the same time as it fills others. That's gift. Bring the tithe, he says. And then he goes on. He put all these generosity things right together, smashed up together in the law, together. So here's chapter 15, verse 1. He goes on with the story. He goes, at the end of every seven years, you must cancel debts. Yeah, like my mortgage. Oh, wait, wait, that's not, that was not part two. I mean, at the end of every seven years, you must cancel debts. This is how it is to be done. Every creditor shall cancel any loan that they have made to a fellow Israelite. They shall not require payment from anyone among their own people because the Lord's time for canceling debts has been proclaimed. You may require payment from a foreigner, but you must cancel any debt your fellow Israelite owes you. However, there need be no poor people among you, for in the land the Lord your God is giving you to possess as your inheritance, he will richly bless you if only you fully obey the, law, the, obey the Lord your God and are careful to follow all of these commands I'm giving you today. For the Lord your God will bless you as he has promised, and you will lend to many nations but will borrow from none. You will rule over many nations, but none will rule over you. Here's his next statement about generosity. Release the debt. Now, again, this is written to the people of Israel. This is God's plan for the financial structure of that nation. If you work at a bank, don't go to work tomorrow morning and and say to the boss, hey, I'm canceling everybody's debt who's been on the books longer than seven years. Don't do it. You'll be fired, and it's not your money. And the bank doesn't live under that law. They don't have to. It's not about them. It's about the nation of Israel. But it expresses God's heart. It expresses his character. It expresses his desires for us and our character. So he he says, I want you to cancel the debt. Every every seven years, I want you to cancel the debt. Now, okay, so your mortgage isn't going to be canceled. Don't go to the bank tomorrow and say, my pastor said, I've been on the books for eight years. We've been paying on this mortgage for eight years. He said, you have to cancel it. Yeah, if, if you go to your bank and tell them that, don't tell them you're from Lakeside. Don't tell them some other church either, because I, you know, like, oh, tell them I'm from Oak Hills, you know. No, no, don't. <laughs> but there are other kinds of lending besides what's legal in a bank setting. I mean, have you ever lent something to a family member or a friend? You ever lend money to a to a family member, and then it sits out there for a while, and sometimes it gets uncomfortable. It's like, well, it's not really due yet, but I think they should pay it back, and it gets uncomfortable. What if you just? What if you just decided, I'm going to cancel the debt? You go, I can't do that because they would win and I would lose. No, that's not how generosity works. Generosity fills both buckets at the same time. You go, that's not what my my financial statement's going to say. No, but that's what your heart's going to say. Not all debts are financial debts. Sometimes we have relational debt. Relational debt is way more painful and way more challenging than financial debt. Anybody in your family ever wounded you? This is not interactive time. 
Anybody in your family ever wounded you? In your mind, if they wounded you, they owe you a debt. They need to pay that off. They need to pay that back. They need to make that right. That's how we see that. If someone's wounded you, they owe you a debt. You have the power and you have the support of God's character to release the debt. Release the debt. Let it go. That's, a, that's an act of generosity. When you forgive somebody of a relational hurt, that's an act of generosity. And it, it fills them and it fills you. Release the debt. Let it go. It's interesting that God put seven years on it. At the end of every seven years, you must cancel debts. Something interesting about that. It's like seven years is, apparently seven years is enough to pay it off, or seven years is enough time to let it go. He goes, let it go. I have a, I have a phrase I learned. I, don't, I, don't, I wish I remember who I learned it from because it's one of my favorite wise sayings. It says, it asks a question, how long do you want to feel badly about that? Is that helpful? How long do you want to feel badly about that? So somebody hurts you. Somebody offends you. Somebody owes you a debt. They ought to pay it back. Well, how long do you want to feel badly about that? Well, they scratched my brand new car. All right. How long do you want to feel badly about that? A month. All right, sourpuss, put it on your face. Wear it for a month. Go ahead. And you, that thing has helped me evaluate pain. It helps me evaluate loss. It helps me evaluate debt. It helps me evaluate what I want from that relationship and what I want for that relationship. And by asking the question, how long do I want to feel badly about that, I've learned to shorten how badly I feel about things and how long I feel badly about it and release the debt. It's an act of generosity. It will change your heart as much as, much as it changes somebody else's. Bring the tithe, he says, that, brings, that builds generosity into your life. Release the debt that builds generosity into your life. And then there's one more. It's all crammed here together in this one passage. Verse 7. If anyone is poor among your fellow Israelites in any of the towns of the land the Lord your God is giving you, don't be hard-hearted or tight-fisted toward them. Rather, be open-handed and freely lend them whatever they need. Be careful not to harbor this wicked thought. The seventh year, the year for canceling debts is near, so that you do not show ill will toward the needy among your fellow Israelites and give them nothing. They may then appeal to the Lord against you, and you will be found guilty of sin. Give generously to them. Do so without a grudging heart. Then, because of this, the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in everything you put your hand to. There will always be poor people in the land. Therefore, I command you to be open-handed toward your fellow Israelites who are poor and needy in your land. How do you build generosity into your life? Serve the poor. That's the third thing that God says from his character, serve the poor. Sometimes that's hard for us. And I don't know if you're like me. Some of you, some of you are like, you're so beautiful, you're so generous all the time, and I am shamed near you. Not because you make me shamed, but because I'm ashamed of my own things that go on in my heart toward the poor and so i don't know if any of you are like this but sometimes don't you have a hard time with the poor like you know someone's got their hand out somebody wants something somebody needs something for you and or, or whatever and you're like well you should get a job you don't ever think that way do you oh, figured it was just me you know 
Or you go, you should manage your money wisely like I do. Why do I have to give you my money that I managed well because you didn't manage your money well? Do you ever think that way? Okay. It's just me then. I'm just talking to me. Just, you just can listen in if you want, like a side conversation. You know, God doesn't judge the poor that way. He doesn't judge the poor like I judge them. God urges generosity toward them. He says, when someone who's poor asks you for help, don't be hard-hearted or tight-fisted toward them. Such a description of me. Hard-hearted and tight-fisted. And he says the only way to overcome that is to practice being open-handed. I love the little words that he used. Actually, they're, big, they're long words uh, that he uses in this phrase, tight-fisted. Let's, let's try something. I know this doesn't apply to you. It just applies to me, but humor me and help me out, okay? I want everybody to hold your hand up like this and make a fist. Tight fist. So tight that the, your knuckles start to turn white. So tight that you can see your fingers and the blood's pooling up in your fingertips because it can't get past your white knuckles. That tight. Hold it tight and hold it. Make it tight. Really tight. Now, make a face that matches your fist. <laughs> Don't let go of your fist. Make a face. You can't giggle while you're doing this, you guys. Make a face that matches your fist. Now, show somebody else your face. Good job. Now, keep your fist. Now, try the other one. Make a face uh, that matches or that portrays hard-hearted. And show somebody else. Tight-fisted, hard-hearted. He goes, he goes, don't be that. Don't be tight-fisted, hard-hearted. Now, open your hand. Ah, doesn't that feel better when you let that thing go? Now, make a face that portrays open-handed. Show somebody else. Isn't that better? Which face do you want to own? Which face would you rather own? Tight-fisted face or open-handed face? See, there's a miracle that happens when you practice generosity toward the poor. It fills two buckets at the same time. It fills their bucket and it fills yours. It fills their bucket and it, fill, it fills mine. Another one, another one of the phrases that I've learned from someone, again, I don't know who, but I love this phrase as well. It, it pictures this. It says, everyone over 40 is responsible for their own face. I'll wait for that one to settle on the crowd. <laughs> everyone over 40 is responsible for their own face. Why? Because you've been investing in it. You've been invested in tight-fisted face. For 40 years. And after 40 years, it may be set. <laughs> Except for the grace of God, right? Except for the grace of God, that could change. And the way the saying goes, you know, I guess there's an assumption that you're, you're still malleable up until 40 or something like that. But really, that could change. But you've been investing in your face. It's actually, there's a miracle that goes with generosity to the poor. It's a miracle of anatomy because when you are tight-fisted, you lose your hand. You don't have a hand anymore. You have a fist. 
When you're open-hearted, you lose your fist and you gain a hand. Which do you prefer? Your choice. The generosity is a means to a life filled with meaning. And that's the life that God invites every one of us into. Bring the tithe. Release the debt. Serve the poor. Live a life of meaning. Father in heaven, thank you for your goodness to us. So grateful to you for all that you do. So grateful that you've been generous to us. That's amazing. Lord, I pray for every one of us here. We all struggle with these things in some ways. For every one of us, may we follow your heart. May we live out your desire. May we live out your character, Lord. And may it change us, and may it serve others, and may it honor you. Thank you, Father. Amen.